Real quick before we start the show, just wanted to let you guys know you can get the show two days early by joining our Patreon. Even for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. Go to patreon.com slash analog talk and we got a bunch of stuff over there. Check it out and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Chris. I'm Tim. And today on the show, we have Caleb from the Bushwick Darkroom. Hey, Caleb. Hey, Chris and Tim. How are you? Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. I, I for one, am super excited to chat with you. Having a community darkroom is like a dream of mine, so I, I just can't wait to hear all about it. But before we get into that, do you mind giving our listeners a background on you and how you got into photography and what you're up to? Sure thing. Yeah, so um, I guess I'm, I'm one of those people. Photography is uh, in my blood a little bit. My dad was a, a photojournalist for 25 years. Um, and I, I got into it right as he was getting out of it. Oh, interesting. After working for a, uh, a regional daily for, uh, for that long, he was like, I, I never want to touch another roll of film again. Yeah, sure. Um, that was right <laughs> when I was, uh, when I was getting into the dark room and stuff. So I guess, uh, I didn't know that was when I was 10 years old. Um, so I kind of decided at, at age 10, I want to have a technical career in photography wow. and, uh, <laughs> and I made it happen. Dude, that's amazing. It's kind of cool. Um, I've been with the darkroom for uh, seven and a half years. I got involved uh, in very early 2013, and uh, it's been it's been amazing to uh, watch it grow and and kind of help it uh, transform. The darkroom began in 2011. Lucia Rallo, who's our founder and executive director, started it as a, a closet in her basement, like a single occupancy darkroom. Um, and then we moved into a half a storefront um, and now we're in like a huge warehouse. She can't wow. be here today. She's in the lab up to her neck in film, which is, <laughs> is uh, we're, we're, we're happy to have that problem. Yeah, that's a good problem to have when you're, <laughs> that's a good sign too, that people are still shooting mm-hmm. during these times. More than ever. Wow. So so you've been um, with the darkroom for how long? Seven, seven years and four months. Damn. Wow. Which uh, I, I, it flew by. I was a, uh, a sophomore photography major at NYU um, when I first kind of found out about it. I was looking for uh, an internship um, and I, I walked in there and got uh, an internship and more. Um, so I'm still uh, <laughs> still doing the same kind of stuff and uh, sort of helped it expand from a, a really fledgling organization to something that is, well, I guess we, we like to think of ourselves as a, a, a forerunner in the uh, analog film lab community world. Um, it's it's kind of kind of amazing what we built. I, I still can't be like, man. We, we, we did that, um, <laughs> but we did. So when it was a, a small one room, dark room, how did that operation work? I'm just, I'm assuming everything is completely different now, obviously, mm-hmm. but were you like renting time out or was yeah, it, it like- was mostly on um, people would rent a, a couple hours at a time and develop their own film and make prints. Um, and then kind of expanded into offering, uh, some classes like a black and white printing class crash course and uh, then into kind of developing film for drop-off customers. Um, we started just doing black and white and then we started doing color in uh, 
in the tanks. Um, and these days we've got two industrial grade mini lab processors running all the time. So is it like a like a member membership kind of deal for the dark room, or is it just kind of anybody can um, pop in deal? It's a <laughs> it's a sort of a hybrid structure. So we have uh, members who uh, you know there's a couple of different membership levels, so they pay for the kind of access that they need, um, and then they get uh, the key code and 24 hour access mm. to the labs. Most people that use our services though aren't members. Um, so anybody can drop off or mail in film. Um, and, uh, you know, when we're not on lockdown, um, <laughs> anybody can walk yeah. in and, and rent the dark room for, for an hour here or there. But we, uh, we have clients from all over the world and it's really cool to, you know, have, have people show up and be like, Oh yeah, like I'm, I'm here visiting from Texas or yeah. Canada or wherever and be like, and this was on my, uh, my New York city bucket hey, list. That's awesome. It's on mine now too. <laughs> yeah i wanted to to visit when i was there last but it was a a quick trip mm -hmm. so timothy and i we've we've said we we're going to go to new york for lumography show so now we have to like have all these yeah. landmarks that we want to go we need like, some extra time now <laughs> the dark room all right well we'd love to hang out uh when you're in town with the times being the way they are are you still working or are you kind of chilling right now until things kind of the dust settles um a, li a little bit of everything so at the dark room we are busier than mm. ever i am uh out of town for like the next couple of days taking advantage of uh an empty vacation house <laughs> nice Ooh. <laughs> that i that i got a lead on um but i'm back uh back in the city soon but lucia who's our executive director juliet who's our operations manager um, and some of our lab assistants, Camille and Arthur, are just crushing it with the film development. We're busier. We're busier than we've ever been. Some, sometimes it's a little scary when you see when we look at our uh, our computer and it sure. says 300 orders in the works. But uh, we're we're absolutely thrilled about it, and we're kind of you know rethinking all our workflows to adjust to this new reality. People seem to be really happy that there's a place that they can still get their stuff developed. A lot of our, you know, our local competition has been really badly affected by this and we are we're, we're sad about that you know we're all we're all in this together um and, right. and new york city is is plenty big enough to sustain however many however many labs that we've got probably like at least seven or ten that i can think of you know th there's there's plenty of plenty of film for all of us to work on so you know we're we're, we're glad that we can be kind of a, a stopgap for people to get their film done during this crisis, but um, we hope that all of our, our friends and neighbors in the uh, New York analog world um, are able to reopen and safely make it through this. Um, the reason that we've been able to continue operating is we're working with just a single person in the lab oh, at a smart. time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've we've carved that out as our um, our loophole from Governor Cuomo's rules. But, uh, you know, that makes it makes everything a little harder. Um, and it certainly it's a lot less a lot less fun to be a lab rat right. when you're all alone in there. Right. Well, you're yeah, doing the good definitely. work, that's for sure. I know a lot of us who are, you know, kind of going stir crazy, but at least we still get to make photos. So mm -hmm. it's it's great that you guys are still able to provide that service for the community yeah we also we um are working on and already started putting out um an online version of our intro to black and white photography class awesome with keith marlowe who is oh he's a, he's an interesting fellow <laughs> um i would definitely recommend checking out his his videos they're on youtube and instagram tv he's uh he was really instrumental in building the current space that we're in now 
he like, you know, he heard that we were moving and expanding and, and one day he just showed up and, and picked up a hammer. And a <laughs> no kidding. That's um, awesome. And, and he's, he's been there ever since. Yeah. So do you have um, what's what's a normal day? Let's take it back before <laughs> yeah. all this COVID madness happened. What, what's like a normal day in the life at Bushwick Community Darkroom? Right. Um, it, it can vary a lot from day to day. So um, I have a, a day job, which is also a fun job. I manage the uh, photo equipment cage at the NYU Tisch Photography Department. So I go, I go do that. I clean dark rooms and boss around undergrads all day. <laughs> yes. And then, uh, and, then, and, then uh, and then I come home and, and have a snack and then go to the dark room. But, uh, you know, Lucia is, uh, there pretty much 40 to 100 hours a wow. week. Um, so she's, you know, she's really the brains and the brawn, um, behind the, uh, the operation. And I get to, I get to be the pretty face and the technical wizard, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we have a lot of different kinds of programming that's going on. You know, every single day we have film to develop and scans to do. A ton of maintenance goes into just kind of keeping all of these machines running. Um, you'll get a, 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 a peek into them in the, uh, the lab tour yeah, video I'm going to send you guys. That. Yes. But just uh, the, you know, the quick list of things that... Uh, Things that keep me up at night being like, is it, is, is it going to break? <laughs> break? Yeah, yeah. Is it going to be okay tomorrow? Um, we've got a, a Neuritsu film processor for negative, color negative. We've got a Neuritsu film processor for black and white negative, which is a weird, interesting beast. Wow. You know, if, you, if you, you're familiar with lab equipment, most places will do black and white by hand or in a, a rotary yeah. tube yeah. type machine or, or a dip and dunk if it's like a super big pro lab. But we actually have like a one hour photo style machine that does oh, black wow. and white, which I'm I'm only aware of like one or two of these kinds of machines operating in the country. But it's oh, it was such such a game changer because now, um, you know, instead of black and white being something that had, you know, a certain amount of, of variation from batch to batch in terms of just, right. you know, did mm-hmm. we agitate for 30 seconds or 31 seconds? Um, it's, uh, it's repeatable and consistent every time. Um, and it, I just, I just think it's the coolest. Um, so we've got a, a Paycon scanner, a Naritsu scanner, two Fuji Frontier scanners. Oh, I got a car alarm outside, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so, uh, two Fuji Frontier scanners, a, uh, a Creonite color paper processor that is, uh, 31 inches wide. Um, we've got, mm, about 20 enlargers, um, all kinds of plumbing and electrical appliances. Um, and then uh, we've also got this whole software that um, is one of my babies. It's called uh, Get My Lab Done Online. And it started as a, a custom like point of sale and file delivery system just for the darkroom. Um, and it has now grown into its own separate business that I run. And we have a couple of other labs on it. But that's, um, oh, it's, it's, it's a... A blessing and a curse because um, it makes everything so much more streamlined to have, you know, one computer system that knows everything that is specific to a photo lab and we can track all of our stuff in one place. But then also it's like, oh, but could we make it do this <laughs> and could we make it do that? And can we make it can we make it talk to Slack? Can we make it talk to Dropbox? Can we make it talk Ooh. to Stamps.com? So it's it's really become a, a big project um, that's helped me really get a, a very practical uh, introduction to computer programming um, by just kind of diving into a huge project. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be something that can kind of help out the uh, the photo lab industry for many years to come. Man, I always forget about that because, you know, 
you said you had 300 rolls sitting waiting there to be processed and whatnot. Like, I can only imagine keeping track of everything that's mm-hmm. going on. Making- yeah, well, not, not even yeah. 300 rolls, 300 orders, which could have, oh, yeah. could have 12 rolls. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. sure. Yeah. Wow. So our, our turnaround time is a, a couple extra days right now. But uh, again, we're just we're just absolutely thrilled that uh, all of our customers are keeping us really busy and making like really really incredible artwork you know like when we're when we're developing and scanning the pictures we you know we don't we don't snoop but we can't help but take a glimpse um and it's always kind of an interesting way to have a you know a little zeitgeist um of the whole the whole world um and and seeing how all of these different artists and image makers and um you know people who are just starting and people who have been doing it for years um you sort of you you see patterns and trends in terms of all of these thousands and thousands of photos wow. in the aggregate. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's it's a it's a very cool job to be there um, scanning uh, scanning everyone's film and making sure it all looks nice. So you had mentioned your what's your official title? Uh, I'm the technical director, um, which really uh, encompasses everything from like plumbing and electrical repairs to uh, like. Uh, pretty advanced troubleshooting and maintenance on, you know, machines from the eighties and nineties to, um, you know, internet web programming stuff. So I've, I've, you know, I'm very fortunate to have kind of showed up early on and, and had this incredible opportunity to, um, you know, put my, put my signature on a lot of different aspects of the dark room, but I definitely really have to shout out, uh, Lucia Rallo, who's our, executive director again she's everything i do she's she's uh she's putting in 10 hours for every hour that i put in and i put in a lot of hours um she's a an absolute powerhouse that's amazing yeah because i think i saw i think it was you we were like repairing a machine on instagram right (laughs) yeah Yeah. i was like what i started i started making a whole series of me uh me fixing the the machines thankfully everything's been everything's been working really (laughs) well knock on knock on wood so I haven't had to get my hands too dirty for the last couple of months, but you know, I'm, I'm sure now that I've said that we're going to have a circulation <laughs> Sorry, pump go you. out. So did you just, are you just pick that up by nature? Are you like, yeah, or did you train I'm a, or? I'm, I'm what they call mechanically inclined. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, you know, troubleshooting I think is a, is a fine art and, uh, I'm always trying to help people learn to learn to be confident in their own ability to diagnose and, and repair problems. Um, because it's, I don't know, in a, in a lot of ways, it's more of a mindset than a skill. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I always tell people, nobody, nobody taught me how to, how to fix a film processor or how to build, you know, how to, how to build a, a database. Um, I just kind of, you know, the way I think about it is I, I see a problem and I, I see, uh, you know, all of these tools that are available to me to solve problems and be like, all right, which which tool do I need to use for this job and, and how do I apply it in the best way possible? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of reverse engineering, but I think kind of the secret to troubleshooting any kind of machine is you, uh, you've got you've to follow the path. You've got to follow the trouble. So, you know, if you have a machine that's dealing with liquids and chemicals like our film processor, you know, you've mm-hmm. got to follow you've got to follow the pipes and, and see where the fluid is getting stuck and why it's not getting to where it needs to go. And if you're repairing a, an electrical circuit, you know, it's the same thing. Electricity is a fluid and you want to 
follow the electricity and and see where it needs to go and see what's preventing it from getting there. And speaking speaking of all that, I, I'm sitting here thinking about how with labs and, you know, I have a couple enlargers and stuff like that in my closet waiting to get set up again and start messing around with this stuff. Do you ever mm-hmm. hear any like inklings of new equipment ever coming out or are we mm. just kind of stuck with what we got these days <laughs> uh, yeah there's there's all kinds of really exciting stuff going on in the you know in the analog photography gadgetry world um i'm sure you guys are familiar with um like the negative supply film oh, yeah. uh, film carriers oh, yeah those um you know those those have been making a big buzz and and for good reason because i think they're really going to revolutionize the way we scan film um and it seems like they're up to a lot of other cool stuff um yeah and of course we've got you know there's other cool new products showing up every day um like the uh intrepid cameras and the arsimago lab mm-hmm. box um, these are all really revolutionary stuff, uh, and I think there's a lot of different people that are innovating and finding ways that we can apply, you know, our 20, 21st century conveniences like rapid prototyping and like easier supply channels to get stuff manufactured um, offshore at a, at a cheaper price and then import it back. You know, anyone can do that with a little bit of money and um, a couple of people with design skills rather than it taking an entire office full of people that that um are doing your you know communicating with the factory and setting up the machine tooling and stuff that um that's all become exponentially easier in recent years there's a lot still to come i think um some cool projects that i've Mm, been uh that i've been keeping my eye on are the uh the schaefer linear processor is a a fellow called clyde schaefer from brooklyn is building a um semi-automatic motion picture film processor like a modular and and open source design that's that's something i've been i've been following forever because it's really cool someday i hope to kind of take uh what he's done and find out if there's ways we can apply it to still photography because you know in terms of in terms of the way i see it i think the future of film photography i think there's always going to be a, a need and a market and a space for lab for commercial work and and you know for people who don't want to make a mess in their house and deal with the chemicals but i think as the industry continues to grow and change and as it becomes easier and easier to do your own stuff at home with tools like the lab box or the you know, the fancy Cinestill sous vide that you can get for 40 bucks if you just don't get the Cinestill. <laughs> um, uh, you know, all of those things are, are making it um, so much more accessible for people to develop their own films. And we, you know, as much as we like people sending us their film, um, I think everyone ought to try doing it themselves at home. Uh, I agree. At least once. Yeah. Absolutely. I still have to tackle color film. Mm-hmm. I haven't done that yet. You can do it. I believe in you. I, <laughs> you got when, this. When, whenever people ask me about developing their own color film, I tell them, you can do it. It's not that hard. You should try it once and you probably won't want to keep doing it. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, uh, you know, especially for, for people who aren't fortunate to, you know, live within walking distance or easy driving distance of a, of a, of a lab. It's, it's, it's really not that hard. Um, but, you know, I, I got to say now that I've got all access to all of these machines that are, you know, all of these machines are my babies. I never want to load another <laughs> film reel again. All right. But, uh, you know, it's it's definitely uh, something I feel really fondly about. So are you still in the trenches? Like, are you developing a bunch of film or are you just kind of more on the technical? Uh, it, uh, it varies a lot week to week. Um, so some weeks I'm in it. I'll be in the dark room, you know, 20 or 40 hours in the middle of the night tinkering with stuff. 
Um, and, and sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll be there, you know, in the afternoon, like developing film and scanning it and stuff. Primarily, um, these days I'm doing a lot of our social media and answering the emails and mm -hmm. helping people out with all of their questions, um, which is always a joy, although sometimes ter terrible, <laughs> yeah. you know, we yeah. get, uh, the, the questions that we get are, you know, it's, it's a really good mix. Like, you know, what, uh, what, uh, you know, what kind of film stock should I select if I, I uh, want to push it really far and, and, you know, try and stretch the, stretch the limits, you know, or sometimes it's like, um, like, why are all my, uh, pictures that I took on a disposable camera without flash indoors at night coming out? <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of tact. I think the, the, the hardest part is, um, you know, we, we all, when we were getting into this, we all have done dumb things and had, um, mm -hmm. misunderstandings that <laughs> caused us to, um, do something wrong. And that can be really frustrating and, and difficult for someone who's, new to the medium and new to the community. So we always feel like it's, it's very important to, you know, help, help people figure out where and how they went wrong um, and not, not be a jerk about it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we get asked those questions a lot too on Instagram just because <laughs> we're, a, mm -hmm. you know, part of the community. Mm -hmm. It's fun though. I love that. I love, you know, any, any giving any sort of positive pushback into the community is a good thing because God forbid if this yeah. would all go away someday, we'd, we'd be screwed. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What would I, what would I do I think about that life? all the time. I'm just like, man, what, yeah. what if Codex like we're shutting down next week, buy it while you can. <sighs> yeah. I, I, that, that, that does worry me a lot. And I've got my, I very keeping a very close eye or, you know, as close an eye as I can through a telescope um, on uh, Ferrania in northern Italy, yeah. um, which, you know, they uh, seems like it's been hiccup after hiccup, but yeah. they um, they haven't given up. And every every time, every time I'm like, no, it's been it's been six months since the last update. Every time they every time they've surprised me. So yeah. Yes. I have faith in them and, and I wish them uh, I wish them all the best. And I, I've been loving P30, it's a, an absolutely oh, gorgeous too. film. It's, and, yeah, it's beautiful. You know, yeah. I, I would, wouldn't bother me if I had to wait five more years for my Kickstarter. Really. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in it. I, you know, I, I, I want to, I'm like, how, how can I give you money? How can I give you more money? Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for them to come out with some color stocks. Then it's mm -hmm. like, take all of my money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, I have a question for you, Caleb. Sure. What's the general like age range of people who come use the darkroom? Is it like mostly younger folks in college and stuff mm -hmm. like that? Or is there some OGs coming through? Um, yeah, we have like a, a really interesting and diverse um, base of people that are coming in. Um, as, as you might expect, probably the majority of it is, um, I don't know, men aged 19 to 39. Um, but we, uh, we are doing everything that we can to, um, you know, broaden it a little bit, but even since mm -hmm. the beginning, we've had, um, people from all, all walks of life coming in, um, we sometimes we um we get you know people from from the real old school generation um like we've had uh Buford Smith who's a uh really really interesting photographer from um you know from the past uh was a member for a yeah. long time and and made a whole edition of prints that's awesome so we get you know i i would say that our youngest customer has been uh maybe like 
nine or 10 or 11. Um, <laughs> once in a while, we get a, a really precocious kid come in with their parent. And and I, I just absolutely love it because that was that yeah. was that was me. Aww. Like, mom, can you please can you please drive me to the camera store? I want to I want to go buy a bag of Dectol. <laughs> I bet your parents were probably like, what? How did we do? We created a monster. Look at <laughs> Yeah. Well, my, my, yeah, they, they, I'm sure they, they wonder all, all, all kinds of things about, about me, but, uh, you know, it's, it's their fault for, uh, for getting me interested in a hobby early and, and, yeah, uh, being kind and supportive throughout my upbringing. <laughs> a lot of good that did them. So how many people work for the dark room? Um, it, uh, it varies. A lot. Um, so, you know, until until recently, we had a large group of work exchange volunteers oh, cool. um, doing most of the day to day for us. So it was a lot of a lot of students, a lot of recent graduates and a lot of skateboarders and bicycle bicycle messengers and waiters and car repair people coming in like three or four hours a week doing a shift, developing and scanning film. Uh, in exchange for, you know, three or four hours a week of, of access to the lab time and, and film processors. Um, so uh, obviously we can't have that many people coming in and out during um, during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. It, it sucks because it was so fun to um, be around and, and to have this avenue for people to to get involved and to get access to the stuff they need to do their artwork without having to shell out the cash. So we're we're really sad that uh, we've had to move to kind of a, a you know a more standard model of having um, a smaller number of of paid technicians doing all of the work, um, and you know as things begin to reopen, we have some reassessing to do about about what it's going to be in the future. But I would say the um, the administrative core team of the darkroom, you know the. The people that uh, that make the tough decisions and, and coordinate all the logistics are myself, Lucia Rallo, executive director, Juliet Grodzins, um, operations manager, and Lacey Weathersby, who, um, well, she doesn't have it. We, we just gave her the job title VP of HR <laughs> because we thought it would be funny. Um, she was previously our, our volunteer coordinator, but she just does a little bit of everything. She's uh, she's a fantastic person to have around. It sounds like you had a great team. That's for sure. Yeah, really. It, it's um, it's a it's a good crew. Um, I definitely miss having all of our work exchange volunteers there every day. But we're we're staying in touch. It's got to be inspiring having all those people come in there, just like different walks of life. And that's such a yeah. cool idea too. It's, it's fantastic, and I think it's been um, you know, it's been a, a jumping off point for for a lot of people to build their careers. We've had you know, I think a, a lot of people have that as as um the first thing on their resume after college. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. A couple, uh, you know, I think we, we've got a couple of very prolific street photographers um, that uh, that have been part of our our fam for a while, like um, John Walker and Chris Voss and um, Brian Carlson um, and, and some other folks from the NYC Street Photography Collective. Wow. Um, so, you know, they're 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 out there shooting like 20 rolls of film in in a day yes. um, out on the street. And it's all, you know, it's all, it's all incredible work, but the nature of street photography is, um, you've got to, you have to shoot a lot to be good at it. Mm -hmm. So I think being able to have, you know, more or less free access to film processing has been really helpful for a lot of up and coming artists, um, who, uh, who are shooting a lot, but really can't afford to be spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on, on film processing all the time. They, you know, they've, they've found a, a really good way to, to give back, um, 
in a in an alternative kind of kind of method rather than just a, a cash based economy. God, when you're when you're Love pushing it. out twenty rolls a, sh- a a walk, can you the, imagine the price of Jeez. that? Jeez. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's such a great idea. I love that. Mm-hmm. So, Caleb, how long did it take from when it was a small one-room darkroom to where it is now? Um. All right. So, we opened up for the first time as a one-room darkroom, I think, uh, in like uh, mid-late 2011. Um, and then we, uh, you know, we moved up from the closet to the small storefront in uh, 2012, 2013, kind of upgraded to a little bit of a larger space again in 2014. In uh, 2015, we shut down for a couple of months um, and moved all this stuff and built out the new space. Um, and we've been up and running um, on Troutman Street now for, I think, just, just about five years little more i love that that seems like no time like if i can think of, you know time yeah. just flies so fast when <laughs> it, it it really it really has flown quite a bit and uh you know we're we're, we're improving every day but uh mm-hmm. you know even compared to two or three years ago we've really um gotten to a, a a much higher level of professionalism um like higher customer satisfaction a lot more repeat customers and certain certainly we've learned a, a lot of a lot of hard lessons and a lot of easy lessons too. Mm. Man, that's just just to think about it that it started off like in a closet. I mean, Chris, you gotta you gotta get the ball rolling on your on your little dream I here. Know. I mean, even if you just <laughs> rent out like a storage shed or something and 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 I get know. it. I think about it too because like the closest dark room to me that I know about is the Nashville Community Dark Room, and I still think that's like not convenient at all for me. You know, like if I lived in the mm-hmm. city, that would be mm-hmm. super great. And everyone's like, "Well, why don't you start a dark room?" It's just like, are you gonna front the dough? Because I'm sure it's gonna mm-hmm. <laughs> cost a couple bucks to get it together. Especially, you know, if you um, if you have to buy a lot of equipment, it's it's a, a big startup cost. Um, and kind of making everything customer proof um is. Uh, something that, that we've found to be the hardest because, you know, a lot of things that work in like an individual dark room where it's only one or two or three people using it, um, you know, yeah. you, you don't have to get the industrial grade of yeah, everything. Yeah. Um, there's there's definitely challenges associated to, with, with running a shared dark room. Um, but I think there's also benefits that you can't get anywhere else because, you know, when you're when you're working in a, a shared dark room, you can be in there printing with someone and you know you make new friends you get um advice both solicited and unsolicited um <laughs> you you get a, a sense of what other people's work is looking like um and and you kind of absorb a little bit of everyone's style see that's what i'm i'm lacking i need that like community aspect of it, it it stinks in this apartment that i'm at we moved i think wow it's been five years already i think we've been living in this spot but <laughs> the last apartment we had was perfect we had two bathrooms so i could totally like man cave the other bathroom and turn it into a dark room and i knew how everything was and i didn't have to tear it down every time and put it back up so just to have a spot where i could even leaving the house too is a big deal like because i i don't want to you know you get off of work you get home you you eat dinner you play with the cats it's like time for tv and bed (laughs) and then uh but when you when you have something like off like in another location it's just good to go there and get away and and do stuff yeah. like it that. is nice we we have a we have a cat at the oh sweet too. i love that 
His name is <laughs> his name cat. is Chunks. Chunks. He's got his own Instagram account. It's Chunks underscore online. Oh, great! I will be following that Cute. after this. <laughs> yeah, it's right up your alley. Yeah, I think about my my darkroom days. You know, they were it was under the stairs at my parents' house where I would just like very Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, very Harry Potter. That's the first time I've. That's a really very good uh, analogy. I like that. Um, but I mean, we didn't have running water down there, so I would like develop. With all those chemicals, like run upstairs, rinse it in the sink. And like, I didn't know what it looked like until I came up from the, the basement to like take a look at it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I guess, um, I don't know. The thing that the thing that continually surprises me about analog is, you know, how, how badly you can mess things up in terms of, you know, the temperature and the quality control and the light leaks and stuff and still get an image. And, and yep. also like yeah. how, how often... Um, some kind of technical mistake results in in a piece of really interesting artwork. Even, you know, even as we've kind of leveled up our quality control and we do the control strips and the densitometers and the plotting the charts right. and the graphs of the of the DMAX and the DMIN, um, it's a, you know, it's it's definitely a big improvement in consistency to have all of that stuff, but it kind of just reinforces how how incredible it is the the way that color film especially is is truly the product product of 150 years of research and development um and Mm -hmm. one of the most complex chemical things that you can purchase it's really it's really pretty uh, pretty amazing and pretty well designed it's all magic man it's just all magic Mm -hmm. (laughs) no it's it's science yeah yeah, you're right you're right right. (laughs) damn so do you have any is there any future things in the works for the Bushwick Darkroom? Um, oh, there's always future things in the works. Um, we are we're, we're opening within like the next two or three years. Um, we'll be making some moves on our um, our next location, next expansion. Um, we just wow. absolutely love where we are now, but believe it or not, we're running out of space. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, the, the building that we have is great, but we don't, we don't own it. We don't have excellent relations with our landlord. Um, and the, the structure itself is in, in the best condition. Mm-hmm. So what we are, we're waiting for our, our unicorn warehouse to come along. That'll give us a, yeah. a 20 year lease and it'll have air conditioning. Ooh. That's that's really what we need. We we made a, a big a big improvement last year installing air conditioning in our um like production office where we keep all the customer film and all the scanners and stuff. Um but just the space itself is too big to ever be really fully right. temperature controlled. So it's cold in the winter and and it's hot in the summer, but I don't know. I guess in a certain way that's part of the fun. <laughs> the black and white darkroom <laughs> is also air conditioned. Oh, that's good. We'll be right back with a listener question right after this message from our sponsor. Support for Analog Talk comes from Polaroid. Use the promo code ANALOGTALK10 on your first purchase on film at polaroid.com. All right, guys, this is a part of the show where we break off and take a question from one of our listeners. And this week's question comes from Dean Scutt. And he wanted to know, what do you think about the environmental impact of film? Not just chemicals, but film packaging. I like this. Yeah, I I absolutely love this question um, because I think there's a lot of different things that go into the answer. In terms of stuff that is... um, imminent threats to our ecosystem and our world. Just in terms of magnitude, I don't think analog photography ranks too highly on that list. 
But that's not to say that we don't need to be doing everything we possibly can um, to sort of minimize the impact. Yeah. Um, the chemical question, you know, is one that's been um, asked for a long time. The modern processes are fairly fairly efficient in terms of how much of it can be recycled and, and what the best practices are for disposing it. So um, like all of our chemistry goes through silver recovery. Um, we have a, an amazing local company right here in Brooklyn called uh, Graymark that does silver recovery services. So they've got this amazing little old man who comes in and cleans out our silver recovery <laughs> unit every couple of months. So we, we love them and we love that there's still, um, you know, a place that uh, that does kind of full service with that because it's still in use in a lot of industrial things. But uh, in terms of like the packaging, I think it never ceases to amaze me how inefficiently film is packaged. I don't know why Kodak, Ilford, and Fuji, and Ferrani, and, and everyone else is still doing it this way. Like, you know, the, the 120 film, the 120 film has those little uh, flexible uh, foil wrappings. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to see that on 35 millimeter film. I'm not sure if there's any technical constraints. I do love a good film canister, but I think it's a lot of plastic that's being wasted yeah. needlessly. Same thing with the cardboard box. Um, you know, I think this stuff persists because people are used to it um, mm-hmm. and because the production lines are already set up that way. But I think that it is um, something I would really like to see the uh, the big companies look into as a way to both lessen their production costs over time and to contribute a little less to their carbon footprint and their trash footprint. Yeah, shout out to Lamography. Their Metropolis is a reusable canister. Yeah, it's like a plastic canister. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm very I'm surprised actually that they're putting into those. Those are very expensive. One thing oh. if uh, <laughs> I shout out if anyone is reloading their own film and you need a bunch of empty 35 millimeter cassettes contact us or like almost any other lab because we we have to recycle boxes and boxes and boxes of them um all the time um so you know show, show up and and um we can give you a, a few for free or a whole ton of them for very cheap <laughs> yeah i often think about just uh i got a 10 pack of triex or something not too long ago and just like shucking everything like the box mm-hmm. the canister and it's like i i do yeah. use the can like i you can only reuse canisters for so many things you know i got screws and mm-hmm. bolts and tacks and yeah you know i Key keep chains. my vitamins in some and like you know it's just <laughs> i i definitely try to yeah. use them as much as possible but um yeah it's a lot of waste i didn't even think about it until reading that question it's nuts well that yeah that very good, good answer. answer very yeah. good answer we can go to the second half of the listener interaction and this is the desert island camera we didn't really get to talk much about your photography but this is yeah. a good way uh way to get into <laughs> it uh, yeah. so we have the island and on the island there is a lab and and all the film you could possibly ever want so if you could only choose one camera, your Desert Island baby, what's it going to be? All right. So I guess I've got two ways to answer this question. So if it was a Desert Island where I'm the only one there and I've got plenty of time and really all there is to do is landscape photography or maybe self-portraits, I would totally go for for a large format camera, the largest um, the largest Ooh. that's available. Um, and I would want to be shooting, um, I think... I don't know. I, I would maybe want to be shooting uh, transparencies in it. Uh, really? Give me cool. a give me a big box of Velvia and a Deerdorf eight by ten for the desert island. But <laughs> if I was, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that's my my uh, number one choice for general purpose photography or even my most favorite camera. 
Um, I would say that my my favorite camera that I actually own is a Bronica SQ. Oh, I love that camera. Um, the uh, the Japanese Hasselblad, mm-hmm. and I, I'm also very fond of my uh, Kiev 88, which is uh, the Soviet Hasselblad, the the Hasselbladski. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've also been really enjoying um, like my smaller 35 millimeter cameras recently. I've got a Yashica T4 zoom, which is like a little point and shoot, and a Pentax ME Super, which, you know, it's it's a mediocre camera from the late 70s, it's sort of a, a prosumer camera from that time, if you will. But for some reason, I just, it feels so nice in my hand. It's smaller than a K1000. It fits in your pocket, um, but you get all that nice Pentax glass and it's got a decent like aperture priority auto exposure. Um, I bought my first one uh, when I was like 15 at a, at a yard sale for 10 bucks and I've gone through like I don't know, three, at least three or four of them since then. Um, cute, cute little thing. I, I love that about when you kind of find your camera, you know, like for the longest time, I was a big like uh, Canon FTB. I mm-hmm. die hard with that camera. And it's if you just, you know, you stick with something, you shoot it long enough. You, Of course, it's nice to have, you know, the fancy stuff, but it's not very important. <laughs> How do you like the uh, T4 Zoom? Oh, it's it, one I don't own and I want. I am a big fan of it. It's so convenient. It's got a fantastic one lens and like a decent light meter um there are like some things about it that are very very annoying like it doesn't (laughs) have um you can't manually set the iso um and the there's only like one option for exposure compensation but um you know it it, uh it does exactly what i needed to where and when i want to bring it so speaking of we didn't get into your your photography what what kind of stuff do you like to shoot so um I have a, a actually a very limited range of things that I that I actually uh, shoot. I've been working on the same project for eight and a half years. Mm. Um, since I was since I was a freshman photo major wow. at NYU, I got assigned um, this project in uh, Wafa Bilal's freshman digital photography class to you know go out and spend a couple of weeks doing a documentary project. Um, and it was right before spring break. So I went home um, to the little village in Carversville, Pennsylvania that I came from. And I was curious about this place that I had heard of. There was, uh, you know, a two, two or three hour drive away. It's a town in Pennsylvania with an underground fire where all the people um, had abandoned Centralia. it. Um, it's called Centralia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's very famous. Uh, um, so I went out there um, and I started photographing it. And I realized that, you know, Centralia is kind of cool and interesting and spooky, but that whole coal mining region around it is um, just fascinating and beautiful and sad and complicated. Um, so I've been returning um, returning to that part of Northeastern Pennsylvania, like Scranton, Hazleton, Monoy City, Ashland, Jim Thorpe, um, and uh, other small towns and cities and rural areas out there a couple of times a year um, now for almost a decade. It's been totally fascinating to watch it change, especially um, how things changed in the fall of of 2016. I have family history out in that area from kind of the turn of the last century, um, which I've been exploring and sort of asking the question of, you know, what if they never left? What if, what if I was, what if I was me, like, uh, you know, a, uh, 
a curious gay industrial photographer what if i was <laughs> what if i was growing up in um in in like northeastern um post-industrial pennsylvania rather than the very different pennsylvania community that i grew up in 100 miles away and it's it's been a real a real education in empathy and an education in politics and american history and i guess um the point that i want to make with the images that i take there are that it's um it's it's uh you know important not to disregard your industrial and and commercial history um, and, and technical history. Um, and it's important not to disregard your brothers and sisters and neighbors a little further inland, um, especially sort of in a, in a political sense. I think there's a, a big, a big rush to judgment, um, towards, um, coal miners and, and red counties and, mm. you know, and the hats and the yard signs and stuff. People out there are not crazy and they're not stupid. They're, rational people reacting appropriately to conditions that have been imposed on them and and you know the people out there who are who are angry at regulations that make it um more difficult to to mine their coal you know they're not they're not just like i want to i want to dump chemicals in this creek just for the fun of it they're like i, I I'm trying to feed my family and this yeah. is the only way that i physically can do that right so i think the you know, a lot of our national conversation um, about this kind of thing is is one dimensional in a lot of ways, and it it lacks depth, and it lacks empathy, and it lacks historical context. So, are there any plans to do like a book of this project? Yeah, Eight years, I think is so. A long time. Yeah, yeah. I um, I'm I'm just kind of continuing to you know slowly work on it here and there as I as I get time. I don't know what the eventual destination of it is going to be, but I think it's got to be a book or a documentary or some kind of like complicated multimedia yeah. thing. But I guess I like the idea of making it sort of a, a project that functions as a as a part of its own archive. In in general, I like to I sort of think of myself as a, a person who will often favor quantity over quality. And there are there are other photographers who are going out to the same towns and the same coal mines that I am. Um, for example, Andrew Wirtz and uh, Joel Anderson yeah. are doing, you know, incredibly beautiful and haunting and, and moving portraiture. And uh, I think my my approach is it's a little different. I don't know. I um I talk to people whenever I can, but I'm not I'm not, it's not so focused and important to me to, to really form deep personal connections with individual people so much as it is to, to capture a, a real breadth, breadth of this area and this region and the local economy almost as a, a time capsule of, of what things are like in uh, the first quarter of the 21st century in uh, the Pennsylvania anthracite coal country. Wow. It's so wild to think, because I'm originally from central Pennsylvania. It's where I grew up and spent my entire life basically until i moved here and mm -hmm. when i was in elementary school this is this is forever ago mind you <laughs> we uh <laughs> we used to go to coal mines on school field trips like that was a thing that we would wow. go mm -hmm. i mean they wouldn't take you like you know miles deep into it or anything we weren't like lighting dynamite or anything but it was mm. it, it's like such a big part oh yeah the mine tour is a a, a seminal experience for any <laughs> any pennsylvania kid yeah. <laughs> and you know if, if you're ever if you're ever passing through uh pennsylvania it's actually or or any coal mining region i would say Going on a, a mine tour, even if it's a tourist trap, is something that's fascinating. Yeah. You really can learn a lot, and it's it's just kind of cool. I, I like tunnels. 
something same, very attractive about uh, yeah. about it about going <laughs> underground. It's just wild to think because I just you saying that you know politics has gotten so out of hand and <laughs> in the last couple of years with the the hate on both sides and mm-hmm. it's uh it's a real shame that it that it's getting so divided. But even seeing like like why I left from where I'm from is just it's a dead town. You know what I mean? From not having any jobs anymore. It was a steel town. It was a coal town. It was an everything, you know, like Which uh which which town did you come from? Uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Lebanon. All right. Is that East or West of State College? Uh it's south, actually. South. Okay. Southeast, I think, from State College. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar. Be- beautiful area, but yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's just wild how how things have it changed is, it so is, much. It's a great state. Yeah, love it. So yeah, okay. Well, we have one <laughs> last question on the whole camera side of things, and it's the the white whale camera. Is there anything out there that you've kind of had your eye on that never had a chance to like shoot or buy or? Oh, oh boy, is there ever? <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, let's see. Yeah, I I, I was I was shit talking Hasselblad earlier, but I really want one of those Hasselblad super wides. That's just it's just the lens glued to a film back. It's so cool. Oh yeah, I know what you mean. Ooh. Yeah. Um, it's it's a really weird, unusual looking camera. Um, and I've also been the Signer Handy is is sort of a, a similar idea in four by five. I, I yeah I, I recently got into approaching things with a with a wide angle rather than a, a normal lens and I've been enjoying that um and oh I, I want I want a Hasselblad X pan oh you and me both man mm-hmm. oh. which is not it's you know it's it's not a true Hasselblad although I guess it is Swedish <laughs> and uh, and I guess the last the last thing is um getting a little deeper into sixteen millimeter filmmaking. I have a, a Krasnogorsk and I've, I've done a little bit of 16 millimeter shooting, but I think, uh, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to try out something that can shoot more than a hundred feet at a time and, and maybe do some, some sync sound. But I think I still have a lot to learn in the, uh, in the cinema department before I'm ready to, to make that kind of an investment. Yeah. Are you making like short films or what are you doing with that? Um, I'm just kind of shooting, um, like when it, when I've been going out to cold country, I've been shooting a little bit of uh, motion picture film each time. Um, never really anything narrative, um, and and because you know with a with a wind up camera that can't sync sound, mm. it's hard to yeah. uh, you know it's hard to hard to do a documentary or anything like that. So for now, it's just sort of like little slices and and moments. I've been wanting to to try making some kind of uh, looping projector setup. Oh, cool. With uh, with some of the, the footage from that. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll get that at the end. I was just going to ask if you had a personal account. I'd love to see these Pennsylvania pictures. Sure thing. <laughs> I miss home. <laughs> Man, great. Well, Caleb, this has been great. Thank you so much for letting us pick your brain about all, all things community darkroom. And it's really awesome that Bushwick is doing such amazing things, especially for the community in this crazy times that we're in. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's been so great talking to you. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're ever uh, ever in New York, absolutely hit us up. Um, and, uh, you know, for all, uh, for all you wonderful listeners out there, congratulations on making it to the end um <laughs> if you want to get some more information about the dark room we're on instagram as bushwick dkrm it's b-u-s-h-w-i-c-k d-k-r-m um and my personal account is caleb savage photo awesome 
Timothy, where are you at online? Guys, you can find me on Instagram. It's at Timothy Makeups. I also make film photography related YouTube videos. Easiest way to find that is to go to the search bar. Just search Timothy Makeups. You'll find a bunch of stuff there. Chris, where are you? So I am Chris B. Photo on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're Analog Talk Pod on Twitter, Analog Talk Podcast on Instagram. And we have a Facebook page and a group you can join and share photos and talk to each other and all that stuff. So that's it. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Thank you, Caleb. Thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. First off, we want to thank Caleb for coming on the show and giving us the deets of the Bushwick community darkroom. Can't wait to make it up to NYC and hang out there, make some prints, develop some film. Thanks, Caleb, for coming on the show. Guys, that's going to take us to Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. We have a bunch of stuff over there. We also put out the show two days early. You can get that for just a buck. We're also doing Patreon exclusive after shows and just Patreon specials. So head over there. Check it out. There's a bunch of stuff. And um, thanks to all the patrons who already support the show. Guys, we, we, we don't know what we would do without you. And uh, until next week, we'll see you soon. Later. <laughs>